Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples weekly sermon podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Father, again, we just come in in, uh, humble obedience before you this morning uh, and and hopeful expectation that you have something amazing to speak to us today. Lord, I pray that as we gather together in this safe place, Lord, that you would open up your word and that you would open up our hearts so that we can receive it this morning. We thank you, Jesus, and in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Paul is continuing on in his letter to the Galatians, as we do here in chapter 5. I just want to go back, and, uh, you know, a, a verse or two in chapter 4, and where we kind of left off last week, in chapter 4, verse 30, Paul says, Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. And if you remember, you were here last week, or if you don't know, what he's making reference to is Abraham and the promise that God made to Abraham to bless him through his seed, through a son. And after several years of that not coming to pass, Abraham uh, and his wife, his wife, Sarah, actually came to him and said, you know, well, maybe you should go with Hagar and have a son. That way you'll at least have a son. And he, of course, agreed to that and produced a son out of his own power, trying to fulfill the promise of God through his own strength. And when he brought that son before God and, and, and said, can't, can't you bless Ishmael? And God said, no, I made a promise to you and my promise will be fulfilled through me, not through you. And what Paul does by using this example right here is he says, look, those of those people who are coming to you and those of you who are buying this and are saying, oh, I need Jesus and I have to keep the law, he, Paul says, you are like Eshmael, the son that's coming through the flesh, not the son that's coming through promise. Whereas grace is bestowed upon us, Jesus only, by God. That is the child of the promise. Now, if he's saying, if you want to be a child of the law, you have to keep all of it, every point of it, all the time. And if you transgress even one little tiny bit of it, you've transgressed the whole thing and you're done. But if you embrace the grace, the chi- if you're a child of the promise, he says it isn't about the work that you do, it's about the work that Jesus did and completed. So he reminds them here, you have to cast off, cast off the bondwoman and her son, saying cast off the bondage of the law and embrace the promise of grace. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. That's where we finished last week. And I'll tell you what, that just sustained me all week long. That understanding that it doesn't matter if I'm having a spiritually good day or a spiritually bad day. Jesus could come back on either one of those because I'm not a child of uh, of the bondwoman, but a child of the promise of God. And so if I'm having a bad day spiritually, if I'm just like in my flesh completely, it's okay for him to come back that day. And actually, I wish he would. Although, you know, I hope I'm not doing something really bad and then get raptured. I mean, honestly, I'll be completely honest. I would feel a little bit bad about it. Be like, no, why not Sunday morning at 1030? She's like, that's just pride. 
<laughs> so he says this. Now, he's given them this whole thing, right? He's, he said to them, look, look, throw off the bondage of the law that these people want to put you under and embrace the freedom and the liberty of grace that God gives you. And then he says in verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, stand fast. Therefore, in the liberty by which God has made us free. Stand fast, therefore. Remember the therefore means you have to look back. And he's saying, since you are able to cast off the bondage of the law and embrace the liberty that God has given you, therefore, stand fast. In Greek, it means stand firm. Like, get some good footing. So that when people come in to challenge you, you're firmly planted. Right? What even makes this more interesting to me is that Paul will, will go on in another letter to talk about taking on the armor of God. Have You guys are familiar with that, right? You got to put on the, the helmet and the breastplate and, the, and the, the, the sandals, really, is what he's saying. You know, the Roman sandals is what he's referring to. And Roman sandals were made in such a way that they weren't just like the sandals that we think, but they actually had metal studs underneath like bolts or, or metal pieces in the soles so that they actually could stand their ground and so when he's talking about stand firm he's kind of in combination saying when you are girded up with the armor of god you can stand firm when someone comes to challenge you with you need to be under the law as well you could say no <laughs> sorry no <laughs> I'm under the liberty of grace, the freedom of grace. I'm a child of the promise. Stand firm, he says. Because Christ has made us free. And then he says, do not be entangled with a yoke of bondage. Entangled, that's, I think you probably know what that means, entangled. Um, but it means ensnared or a snare. Right? Um, so a little while ago, there was this show that I was watching called Alone. Has anyone ever seen that show Alone where they take like 10 wilderness survival people and they stick them like in the Arctic and they have to like live for 100 days? And, and all they could bring like a bow and arrow and a stick and like a coat or something. And, and, uh, and so they have to go out and hunt or trap for all their food. And one of the things that they do is they set snares all along. But they don't just randomly put snares all over the place. They put them in the pathway that they know the prey is going to come, right? Because they think, oh, they're going to go this way. That's where I'm going to put my snare. And so it's, it's interesting to me that Paul, and he's talking about this thing, you're on this right path, you're on this course that is the, the straight way, but watch out because these guys are coming in and they're putting snares where they know you're going to go to try and snare you, become entangled. But not just that, with a yoke of bondage. You know, the Bible talks uh, about yokes, and, and, and we're not talking about eggs. Um, a yoke, if, if you're unfamiliar with this, a yoke was a, a, a piece of wood that had two loops on it, and you would, you would yoke two animals together to pull a plow or to a wagon or whatever it is, but the yoke was what held the two animals together. However, the interesting thing about this is that it was always yoked with a more powerful animal and a weaker animal, and that more powerful animal would be the one that would actually direct the weaker one which way to go. And so what he's saying here, Paul is saying, they're trying to yoke you with a yoke of bondage, meaning the law, the bondage, the law is the more powerful thing. And it's going to direct you in the direction that it wants you to go rather than you being free. Jesus would actually talk about a yoke as well. 
So he would say, come to me, all who you, who, uh, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Imagine now you're yoked with Jesus and Jesus is the more powerful one and he's the one you're yoked to. He's the one directing you in the way that you should go. Does that make sense? Isn't that the kind of yoke you want to put on? I mean, if I'm going to be yoked to somebody and they're going to direct me in some direction, I want it to be Jesus because he knows the way to go. He's the one that is the most powerful anyway. I want to be yoked to Jesus. So thank you, Jesus. Yes, I will take your yoke upon me. But he goes on and he says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Jesus says, actually what he's saying to me is like, I bear the burden. I will bear it for you if you are yoked to me. Not only will I direct you in the way to go, but I am bearing the burden for you. All the weight is on me. And so Paul was like, they're trying to put you under a yoke of bondage. But Jesus would say, no, take my yoke. Take my yoke. Let me lead you and let me bear the burden. Still true. Paul says, indeed, I, Paul, say that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Now, what Paul is saying right there is very simple. If you still believe that being circumcised, keeping the law is what is going to sanctify you, profit you, make you more righteous, then uh, he's saying it won't. He's saying, in fact, what you're saying is that the sacrifice that Jesus made for me on the cross becomes of no benefit to me because I'm layering on keeping the law, circumcision. You have become estranged. Verse four, you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law and have fallen from grace. Do you ever hear that before, that saying, we say that someone's fallen from grace? We usually use it when we say that somebody who was really popular isn't popular anymore because they did something and they've, they've fallen from grace. But actually, this is an interesting word. This is a word that is it's nautical, and it means that they have um, fallen away from the straight course or been uh, directed away from the straight course. So that makes much more sense to me when we're talking about these people who, who heard the gospel and received the gospel of Jesus Christ, but now these people have come in and started to confuse them and convince them that they need something in addition to Jesus, and they start to go off the straight course. That's what he's saying, is that they've fallen from grace. They've been directed away from the straight course. How, hap- how easy does that happen? How easy does that happen? Remember, we talked about being so easily distracted. As soon as there's something shiny, you're like, yeah, I'm good. Oh, shiny. <laughs> but remember what we said and, and what, they, what they were distracting them was with appeal to their vanity, right? So remember the, the shiny thing that they see in the distance that you go towards because you're distracted by it? What is that shiny thing? The shiny thing is, is a mirror. <laughs> and you look at it and you see your own reflection and that's the thing that you were attracted to if you're being distracted by your own vanity, Now, some of us will look at that and be like, I look pretty good. (laughs) But hopefully you look at that and you see how filthy you are and you say, no, I need Jesus to clean me up because I can't do it any other way. 
Yep. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. That word hope there, I just love it. I mean, the hope in Greek, it means the expectation. That's what hope used to mean. The expectation means we were told something was true, and it was true, and we expected it to be so, and we were right to think that. Hope now has become kind of a, uh, I'm not sure about it, wishy-washy type of, oh, I hope it doesn't rain today, right? Now, the word here, hope, it means that through the Spirit, we eagerly have expectation of righteousness by faith. And again, remember, he's, he's reiterating the point that righteousness doesn't come through your work, and it doesn't come by accident, but it comes through a relationship that you and I have with Jesus. That's the only way that we receive righteousness is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then your only shot is to keep the law perfectly. How's it going? Anybody keep the law perfectly this morning? Jesus would say to them uh, that uh, if you even have anger against a brother, if if you hate your brother, you've already murdered him in your heart. If you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Have you lied? Have you gotten angry? Have you done any of those things this morning? Then you've failed at keeping the law. And you get the one shot at it. You get the one shot. If you say, nope, I didn't do any of those things this morning. How about yesterday? How about a year ago? How about 10 years ago? If you transgress it in one point at any time, you've transgressed all of it. Because your only hope is Jesus. He says in verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. You ran well, he says. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? That word hindered, um, that means like you're running along, you're on the right path, you're going towards Jesus, and then hindered means that somebody cuts in front of you and either redirects you or trips you up or slows you down. That's what it means, like cutting into them on a race. Did anybody watch the Olympics this year? Anybody? Right, Joanna and I. And okay, well, Joanna, do you remember? Okay, yeah, and there's... There was one race that I was watching where this guy's running along and, uh, you, know, you know, when they're running that like 400, it was like a race forever, it seems like, when you're watching it. <laughs> and uh, these guys, they're all bunched up and then they start to spread out and they're really close to each other. You know, they're running and, and their knees are, are up like this. And finally, you see one guy, he cuts in on this other guy and his leg goes up and hits the knee of the guy behind him, and he falls forward, but he falls into the guy in front of him, and so they both crash. And guess what? That race is done for them, right? They can't, they can't get up and keep going. There's no point in it at that. And so that's the idea, is that this guy that cut in front of that runner, that's what Paul is saying. Is, he says, you ran well, but someone cut in front of you and, and either tripped you up or misdirected you. He goes, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. So now, now he's referring back to this idea like, look, this, this thing that you believe, this, this um, grace in Jesus Christ, the gospel message that I brought that you believed, 
um, has now been polluted by somebody coming in and saying, yes, that, and the law, and circumcision, and everything that Moses taught us, this and that. And Paul is saying, this thing that has polluted your understanding of the gospel, that didn't come from us, and it didn't come from anything that we taught you, um, you know, in terms of Jesus' words. Somebody else taught you that. That came from some other place. He's making sure that they understand that that was in addition to, that was someone else's ideas. And if you look at any of the um, Christian cults that we find out there right now, the thing that is one of the hallmarks of those or, uh, systems is that it's maybe some Bible, but also some other book. And it's not just the two. They sometimes elevate that other book above the Gospels, the Word of God. I heard one person talking about the, the strength and the validity of the Bible alone. He said, if you took a guy and you put him on a, a desert island... And he had no other information, no other influence, and no other resources, but you gave him a Bible, he would not come off that island a Jehovah Witness. He would not come off that island as a Mormon because without their additional stuff, you would read the Bible and you would come off there being a believer in Jesus Christ. And so it's the same sense. He's saying they've, it's been added to them. This isn't coming from the word. It's been added to. Be aware. Be weary. When someone comes to you and says, I love the Bible too, but have you checked out this book? The secret. The secret? There's no secret. It's pretty much spelled out right here. I mean, there's no secret. If you go to a church and, and their pastor stands up and he says, you know what we're going to do for the next 12 weeks? We're going to put this book aside, and we're going to teach out of this book. It's really good, and it's about this book. Get up and walk out. And come here, actually, because we're going to just be right here in the Word of God. But be aware, if you end up in a church that says, look, we're going to be teaching out of this book other than the Word of God, you know what, if they want to do that on a Wednesday or a Thursday or what a small group, whatever, but when you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what, we're going to preach out of the Word of God, that's what you get, the Word of God. There's nothing to add. Then he says, this is a warning, and it is so, so important. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. What he's saying there is it doesn't take much. Leaven here, we would, we would call that yeast. Do you ever make bread? You know how much flour it makes to, loaf, to make a loaf of bread? What, like six cups? Who's made bread? How many cups of flour do you make to a loaf of bread? Four cups. How much yeast do you use? A, like a teaspoon? <laughs> and what does it do to the bread? It gets huge. And then you bake it, and it's delicious. But the point is, and, he's, and they know this because this is the way it's always been, is it only takes a little bit to permeate and affect the entire loaf. And so it's his warning is saying that, you know what, even if it's mostly Bible and a little something. That little something is enough to infiltrate the entire loaf. A little leaven will leaven the whole lump. In fact, the Bible often refers to leaven as sin. Sin is leaven. A little bit of sin in your life will permeate your whole life. Your whole life. You may think, I'm, I'm 90% good, and I'm 10% sinful, and I'm okay with that. That 10%, it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect your entire life. 
Your whole walk is going to be affected. Your whole relationship with Jesus Christ is going to be affected by that little bit. Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Have you ever read that and think, I'm the lump? (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever think that? As Paul is saying, you're a lump, you're a lump, you're a lump. We're We're the lump. (laughs) verse 10 it says i have confidence in you in the lord that you will have no other mind but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment whoever he is paul's getting heated up now you can feel that paul this is going on now i mean this is the fifth chapter this is well into this letter remember this is all one letter that paul remember he's dictating this letter to a scribe that's writing this all down and so this has been a while paul's really i mean sure paul's probably like me and he's probably pacing back and forth in the room as he's dictating this letter and he's like and tell them this and write this down and tell them this and, and make sure that you tell them that those people that came to them that judgment is going to come upon them and the scribe i'm sure he's just like you know he's just writing furiously and then and then he says and i brethren if i still preach circumcision then why do i suffer persecution see what was going on was they were causing these guys were coming in and not just saying that you need to follow the law but they were trying to discredit paul as well and they were saying that guy paul he calls himself an apostle but he's not really an apostle remember we looked at that at the beginning of the letter paul validated why he thought that he was an apostle chosen by jesus directly spending time with him in the desert of arabia being taught the gospel i believe that paul was an apostle paul believed that he was an apostle but they were trying to discredit him they would also come in with a confusing message to say paul teaches circumcision just to confuse them to confuse the fake news <laughs> but paul would say look if i'm still teaching circumcision then why are they persecuting me uh, that would mean that i'm agreeing with them if i'm agreeing with them why are they b- talking bad about me he's saying i'm not preaching circumcision in fact paul would say in one of his other letters i'm glad now nah, forget it We're going to go on. (laughs) He says, then the offense of the cross has ceased. Does it surprise you that Paul says that the cross is an offense? Does that surprise you that he says the cross is an offense? Why is the cross an offense? Why do you think? I'm just going to tell you. I think three reasons. First of all, the message of the cross is that there is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. There's only one way. That's what the cross says. There's only one way. To some people, that's extremely offensive. How could there be only one way? There's, there has to be many, always, all spokes, all roads. You ever hear these things? All roads lead to God. How could that be? How could every way be true? See, the, the cross says there's one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. That's offensive to some, and so he refers to it as an offense. Also, uh, there are morals attached to the cross that says, you should live this way, you should not live that way. These things are right, and these things are wrong. That's a message that's offensive, especially right now. Nothing's wrong. Everything is right. Everything is right. How can that be? How can everything be right? If if there's a right, then there's a wrong. That's just logic. 
It's like saying, no, forget it. <laughs> no, I keep starting to say things and the Holy Spirit goes, nope. <laughs> the real reason though that I think that the cross is such an offense is because the cross says your good works can't save you. Your good works can't save you. It doesn't matter how good you are or think you are. It is not good enough. And that is the message of the cross. And it's an offense. In in verse 12, now Paul's really heated up and he says, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Here's what that means. (laughs) He means that I wish that those people who are troubling you would castrate themselves. That's what that means right there. Castrate themselves. If you, I, because we have all of our kids here, I'm just going to leave it at that. But if you don't know what that means, you come talk to me later and I'll explain what that means. But what Paul says is he goes, I wish that those guys that were coming to you and, and telling you all this and leading you astray, I wish that they would all just go and castrate themselves. And don't you think at the point, the scribe is like, And, and Paul, I think, is like, read that back to me. Like, and I wish that they would all trouble you that we didn't cut themselves off. Yep, leave that in. Leave that in. <laughs> For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use the liberty as an opportunity for, self, for, for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Paul, Paul would address this in another letter where people would assume that, oh my goodness, if you teach Christians have liberty and that they're not under the law and that they have grace, they're just going to go all crazy. And Paul would say in Romans, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And what he's kind of was addressing this idea like, well, if we're all under grace and we don't have to follow the law, then we're just going to go out and sin like crazy and we could do whatever we want. Paul would say, certainly not. In fact, there was this idea that said like, well, if we sin and then God saves us by his grace and his grace is a glory to God, then why don't we just sin more and give him an opportunity to put more of his grace on display? And really, in a sense, aren't we helping God by being really sinful? <laughs> and Paul says, that's crazy talk. That, I mean, that's my own interpretation. But he, he says, certainly not. <laughs> He actually, what Paul says is he says, how can those of us who were saved by grace live sinfully anymore? In fact, what he's saying is, if you have embraced salvation from Jesus Christ, you're a new creation. You don't live in that place anymore. So it's not just that you're now confined by grace, you're freed from the bondage of sin. And like we've been saying, we're not serving God because we're guilty. We're serving God because we are, we're in gratitude to him. Extreme gratitude. I so want to do this. What I'm doing right now, I so want to do it. It gives me such joy. And I know that he's got a smile on his face and he's probably laughing about this joke over here. I'm hoping. But I don't do it because I'm compelled to out of guilt. You're not here because there's some rule that says on Sunday at 10 o'clock, you come here. You come here because you want to hear from God. You want to be with each other. You want to serve him in children's ministry. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) 
He says in verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know what he does too, what's really interesting, is that he quotes Leviticus. He quotes the law, the book of the law, to those who are saying, no, it's the law. And he's saying, no, it's grace. But he's saying, you know what? The whole thing is wrapped up in this. The whole thing. Uh, Love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Love. Later on, um, Jesus would be talking and it would, there was this, this guy would come and it was a scribe, a, a learner of the law. And he, it says that he was trying to trick Jesus. And he says, teacher, what is the most important commandment? And, and, and Jesus looks at him and he says, the most important commandment is this. Love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. First commandment. And he goes, but the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, and all the law and all the prophets can be hung on or summarized or wrapped up in those two things. Love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, which by the way, is a lot. You love yourself. You love yourself. Some of you really should be loving your neighbor. You love yourself. Because he says, but if you bite and divide... Do you know why those two can summarize all the law, by the way? Think about it. We're like, what about the Ten Commandments? Aren't we supposed to keep those Ten Commandments? Jesus would say this. If he said this, this is what he would say. If you love your neighbor and you love your God and those two things, if you love God, you're not going to worship any other God. First commandment. You're not going to bow down to any other idol because you love God with everything that you've got. If you love your neighbor, you will not murder them. You will not steal from them. You will not commit adultery with their spouse. You will not bear false witness against them. You will not envy their donkey, says that. If we love, you will not do those things. If you love God with everything that you've got, you will not put anybody before him. And if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill all the other commandments. And that's why he says these two rules, love God and love your neighbor, that sums up everything, everything. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you consume one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now, here's the thing. A legalist would say that the other way. The, a legalist would reverse that verse, and he would say, if I do not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, then I can walk in the Spirit. But that's not what it says. It says, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the lusts of the flesh against the spirit, the lust, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish to do. And what Paul is saying is there is a constant battle going on between your flesh and your spirit, and they're doing this constantly. Paul would later on write this very verse that would say, the things I know I'm supposed to do, I don't. And the things that I don't do, those things I, you know, the things I don't want to do, those things I do. And then he follows it up with, oh, wretched man that I am. Mm -hmm. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and we're all the same. There is a fight, a battle that goes on between our spirit and our flesh. But I thought, I thought when I received Jesus Christ, I received the Spirit, and I became, doesn't it say that I became a new creation? Yes, that means that your eternal salvation is sealed. That means your destination went from hell to heaven, and you are a new creation. 
but you have a sin nature that you will battle against. It's like when somebody you know passes away. That old man is gone, but all their stuff is still there. Something must be done with their stuff. And if you hold on to it, you've still got all that old stuff. But if you cleanse it and get rid of it, then you don't have it anymore. But it's a process. It takes a while to get through it. And that's where the battle is between your spirit and your flesh. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. You know what that means? Obvious. Apparent. That means that when I read through this list, none of these things are you going to look at and say, oh, I didn't, uh, I didn't realize that was a work of the flesh. I didn't realize that was something I shouldn't be doing. They are adultery, fornication. Actually, you know what fornication, you know what that word in Greek means? It means pornography. Pornography. Uh, uncleanness. <laughs> uncleanness. That means that you've been defiled um, when, when someone became unclean, it was because they touched a dead body. That was it. And that meant that they were now unclean or defiled, that they couldn't participate in, in any kind of temporal ritual. So this means that whatever you could be uncleanness means that you've been defiled by something that you've touched or seen or come in contact with, right? That means you need to be very careful about what you're watching or listening to, what you're getting involved in. Defiled. Lewdness. You know what lewdness is? That means like, like conduct that's inappropriate for public decency. You get arrested for that, actually. They, that's, I mean, these are things that you can get in trouble for now. Lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. Sorcery in Greek is pharmakia. Does that sound like a familiar word that we know? Pharmakia, pharmacy, that means drugs. Drugs. And so I can't, I have heard from others, nobody here, who have said, you know what, man? The Bible doesn't say that we can't smoke marijuana. It's natural. It's natural, man. It's a plant. It grows up. It, and, and well, I see this drugs. This, this is the work of the flesh. Drugs. If you're doing drugs, it's the work of the flesh. Here's the other thing. The Bible also says that you are, be, you are to be prepared to give a witness at any time. At any time somebody asks you, to, you know, to give a witness about your faith, you need to be ready. If you're stoned, are you in any, any condition to give a, a witness for what it is that you believe? No. And if you do, I, I, I wouldn't want to hear it. It might be hilarious, but I don't want to hear it. Sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, evil, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. It's not even an exhaustive list that he writes here. That's a long list, and that's not even all of them. And I would encourage you to spend a little bit of time just looking through those other than today and see what's on this list. Get a Greek concordance and see what some of these words mean if you don't know of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now listen, I said that there's a battle going on in our flesh, and sometimes we are envious. Sometimes there are revelries. That means you get a little bit too celebratory. <laughs> 
Sometimes you're jealous. Maybe sometimes you murder. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I hope you don't do that. (laughs) See, there's a battle going on. And so he's not saying, if you, you know what, you have a morning where you're just envious of somebody else, it doesn't mean that you're you're canceled from heaven. It doesn't mean that at all. What this says is, is if you practice such things, that's a word, and it means that it's done as a regular practice and with an understanding or a belief that this doesn't matter. This isn't bad. You have decided to live in that place and make those decisions and, and, and sin in those ways over and over again. It means you're practicing those things. Okay. Look, I hope that you don't go out uh, on you know, ladies' night and, and drink too much and get drunk. But if you do do that... It doesn't mean that you're not going to heaven. But if you are, if you are a drunk, where you're drunk all the time on a regular basis, that's just part of what you do every single week, you need to check your heart. Check your heart. Because you are wrapped up in your flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Oh, well. I mix that up sometimes. See, here's that. I love that song because it taught me how to memorize those, but this is what it did do. It made me think of them as a list. You know, and oftentimes we'll say, well, see that right there? That says the fruit, not the fruits, not the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruit. But somehow, in my mind, I was saying, it's still singular fruit, but the fruit is all these things. It's not. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. These other things in the list are characteristics of love. Um, I know this because um, of all these other verses and and things that God has given us. In in 1 Corinthians, remember that wedding verse that he says, love is patient, love is kind, right? Actually, I'm going to read it. I have it marked down. He says, love, love suffers long. That's patient. Love is kind. Right here, right? Love is kind. Love is patient. This, this is the fruit, the fruit, the, the characteristics of love, which is the fruit of the Spirit. Um, love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. It is not provoked thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love. These other words are important. They're the characteristics of love. Deal Moody, he broke it down like this. This is so interesting. He says, joy is love exalted. Peace is love at rest. Long-suffering is love enduring. Kindness is love on display. Goodness is love in action. Faithfulness is love on the battlefield. Gentleness is is love in society, and self-control is love in training. But it's all love. Paul would also write that, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... Or if I have the gift of prophecy to understand all mysteries and all knowledge, or I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, I give my body to be burned. If I do any of those things and I don't have love, it's nothing. I'm bankrupt. So what's important? Love. What does he say is the best commandment? 
Love God, love your neighbor. What does he say? If we, if we walk in the flesh, we will have love as displayed through joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. You know, in the Bible, there are three words in Greek that are love. They're different. The first one is eros. You know what eros is like, um, intimate, like, no, you shouldn't know. (laughs) Eros is intimate, physical love between a husband and a wife. Eros, that's what that word means. The second love is um, philo, which is like, uh, friendship, brotherly love, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's what that means. The last one, though, is agape. It means, it means unconditional, selfless love. Uh, that is the kind of love that God demonstrated to all of us. There are m- many verses. I'll give you a couple. In Romans, Paul wrote, but God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, many of you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. <clears throat> Jesus, again, when he was asked what the commandments were, he said, love God, love your neighbor. Incidentally, all those English words, love, in all those verses, it's all agape love. Unconditional, selfless love. You know, is that where you operate? Is that where you are during the day? (laughs) Do you have love for those around you? Is it selfless and unconditional? It's a challenge. It's a challenge for you to examine yourself. When when, When I finish today and when we start talking to people, when you go out of here and when you go to your job or your school or whatever it is you do, are you operating from a place of love? And is it, is it uh, demonstrated? I mean, do you see it manifest in joy? Does it give you joy? When you go out and you love, does it give you joy? Is it, does it give you peace? Does it make you faithful? Love. <clears throat> and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, right? What's that mean? That's easy to say. It's like a Bible thing. Just walk in the Spirit. The word actually is different from the word above in verse 16. The word walk there, it means to walk in step deliberately. Walk in step deliberately. So really what he's saying is let the Holy Spirit at any moment and in every moment direct your steps. If you want to walk in the Spirit, that means let the Spirit direct you in what steps you're taking, in what area you're going. How do you do that? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Who knows that verse? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in everything that you do, and he will direct your steps. He will make your path straight. So how do you walk in the Spirit? Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not sit there and say, I don't know, God. I got this idea, and I think it's maybe better than what you were thinking. Because I'm telling you right now, it doesn't matter what it is, it ain't. 
That's a paraphrase also, but it says it in there. <laughs> Walk in the Spirit. <laughs> Let us not become conceited, provoking one another to envy, to envy one another. We're going to stop. That's the end of the chapter anyway, but I'm going to start there next week because that kind of goes into the practicalness of how to, how to live with one another. Love. Love is the answer. I know there are songs about it and everything. They're right. Love is the answer. But it's a godly love. It's a love that we are shown by God. It was, it was um, given to us by his example for us to follow. That is the way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning and for this message, Lord. I thank you for how you take your word and it becomes so real. Lord, how you take something that we've likely read many times before. Ah, Lord, but you've prepared us this morning to hear what it is that you want us to hear. And so, Lord, I pray that your message just hit home with everyone here today, whatever it is you wanted them to hear. Lord, I thank you for your demonstration of love, that sacrificial, unselfish love that you demonstrated by sending Jesus Christ, your son, to die for us. Even when we were your enemies. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, I just pray that uh, as we now take communion, Lord, that as we do this in remembrance of you and what you did, that we truly would come to this place, to the, to the foot of your uh, cross today, Lord, with an understanding of the kind of love that you had for us and that we might, in return, love you with all of our heart and soul and mind. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.